The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Peace and blessings, family. We are bringing you the Say Something Podcast. Say some, say some, say something. It's where we get together, talk about everything going on out here in this life, out here in this traffic, out here in these streets. In these cold, cold, cold streets, yeah. <laughs> bringing you episode number 67. Booyah, we back at it. I told y'all we coming again and we going to get a hundred by the end of this year. Watch us. Episode 67. If you're not familiar, if you're new to fill you in, we always like to highlight a, a special individual. Uh, shout out to girl Amanda Seal. She always calls it a moment in ebony excellence. But we like to... Uh, Black excellence, for sure. Yeah, we always like to highlight somebody who has done it for the people, done it for the culture that we think is news and noteworthy that we want to shine a little light on. It's important that we control our own narratives and, and highlight our own folks. Shine that light, control the narrative. Booyah. So episode 67, I'd like to be a, a, a special shout out to a sister. She's, she's long gone. Okay, we got a sister, she, right? She's passed away, yes. Right. And something very special about her, she had a lot of amazing talent. She was a singer, songwriter, pianist. Uh, and though what she did with music was uh, amazing, Something about her specifically in, in what she fought for in her lifetime was huge. She was really big about going against the uh, Eurocentric standard of beauty and that all the images that were shown to be of who was who, what was pretty and who was pretty. And these are people that did not look like her. And she was not what you would call, quote unquote, classically pretty is how she kind of deemed herself. And she recognized, she said, no, I'm beautiful. Just because I don't look like them, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me. And that is something that she challenged um, all throughout her life. Uh, she was born Eunice Kathleen Wayman. And as she started getting into music and branching out from uh, doing stuff for the Lord, uh, she started getting into blues and jazz and what was being labeled as the devil's music. So she changed her name to kind of hide from her family. And that's the name that stuck that most of us know. Uh, she died in 2003 of cancer and a, a musical genius and, and something about her when she was young, she wanted to get uh, admitted into this school and they told her no. And they believed it because she believed that it's because of racial discrimination. And days before she passed, that same school gave her an honorary uh, degree from that school, you know, day late and a dollar short. And we're not looking for the accolades and the kudos from anybody else. We have to champion our own people and create our own narrative and highlight our own stars. So rest in peace and show a little love one time to Miss Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. She was Erica Badu before Erica Badu came into the music game. She was mm -hmm. Erica Badu. She was Lauren Hill. She was Grace Jones. She was. Lauren Hill doesn't count. She only came up with one dope album. But I'm saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> she was all that, but before all that. Now I'm sure you noticed a couple of extra claps. Extra claps. We got some voices. We got some special guests in the building. Yeah. Hey, hey, what's happening, y'all? This is Joshua from Sacramento City College Black Student Union. What's up, y'all? This is Taylor from Sacramento City College Black Student Union. My people are in the building. Black Student Union, stand up. They are hey. joining us this week on the podcast, sharing that young energy that young enthusiasm oh man this is my people man me and jay go back man like two flat tires we 
was together and met in what, like 2000 and I want to say 12 or 11 or something like 12, that. 12, man. Yeah, 12. It's 12, been a yeah. minute. You know, and um, with the Sankofa and we've just been building and watching this young man and Taylor. I've known her since she was in high school That's with a right. twin brother. You know, shouts out to the bro bro. And um. They about to sit down here with us and kick down some real knowledge, some real game, and some real stuff that's going on in this community. So I'm excited about it. Hey, yeah. Hey. Thank you for having us, you guys. Oh, we appreciate, appreciate you Going against those narratives where they say that young people are the entitled generation and disconnected and, and aren't plugged in and aren't aware of what's happening socially and culturally and stuff. These are two individuals definitely going against that that narrative and that grain. And since they're guests here, they haven't been privy to something we do around here. Yes, indeed, they haven't. But you all know what we're going to do. And before we really get down on the get down, we're going to have to sit there and say, you know what time it is. It is a silly Negro of the week. Can I get some some applause on that, y'all? <laughs> get that applause. That. You got to bring before the congregation. Oh, my goodness. Brother, 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 get down. And we are going to bring a brother who is going to probably be here a couple more times in his sunken place off his medication. We are saying today's silly Negro of the week is Kanye West Kardashian. So it's not even about some of the statements that he's made. It's just kind of. Kanye West being the practical joker that he has become to the black community that he refuses. He refuses to take off this make America great hat. Right. What he's confused about. It's not necessarily the hat, not necessarily the fact that he supports Donald Trump, because to be honest with you, when we talked about it on our show, there was a whole lot of rappers that supported Donald Trump back in the day. And there's a whole lot of rappers, a whole lot of black artists that support him to this day. They probably don't say as much. But in this moment, in this time that we're living in America, that red hat represents white supremacy. Bottom line, you will see white supremacists now go ahead and hashtag mag. You will see them walk around with that hat proudly as they represent something that I don't know what Kanye West is trying to convince us with that Donald Trump is a great guy, but he has to understand the element of what that is bringing. So with Kanye West, with all the theatrics, all the things that he's doing, all the things that he's saying, all the... um. I, just the belligerent disrespect that he's giving to the black community as being a black man and not understanding honoring his mother or the people or his ancestors or even let's say this honoring the fact that he once was a bold black man that says George Bush doesn't like black people when George Bush was acting funny with the black people in Katrina for him to continue this coonery this fuckery on a constant basis where we see his narcissistic style is kind of coming out and it's all about him because this is not really Kanye West trying to, um, in my opinion, tell the people something that we need to hear is Kanye West trying to figure out how is he going to reinvent himself? How is he going to sell more albums? And how is all the media, whether it's negative or positive, focus is going to be on me because it's not about the people. It's all about me, 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 me. Kanye West gets the silly Negro of the week because Kanye West boy is a tweaker for real. <laughs> I'm just saying, please, Kanye, get back on the meds. We don't need a political figure. We just need that guy from college dropout to come up with them albums and leave all the other shit to the people that know what's going on. Kanye yeah. West, silly Negro of the week. If you haven't seen what he did recently when he was on the SNL uh, Saturday Night Live, after the show was over, he did two songs performing, then asked if he could do a third song off air for the people in the room. 
And so they're kind of like the network's like, sure, great. You know, it's a win win. We'll record it. We'll put it for whatever our archives. Kanye West want to perform for our audience. You know, we got all, all that's all day every day. And after it was over, those are clips and sound bites that most people have seen where he was addressing, saying that uh, they, they tried to bully me. They, they tried to make me take my hat off. They, they, they bullying me. And he was met with booze in the crowd and and what nobody feeling yet. And he followed that the same week talking to TMZ, who I believe they're just pimping him for every last drop of juice. They're going to use his name where he was saying he's trying to get Colin to come with him, Colin Kaepernick, to come with him to the White House to sit with Trump so they can try to remove that the SOB label Trump gave him, as well as talking about abolishing. He said we need to abolish the 13th Amendment. Uh, he was just loose talking. A lot of unsubstantiated uh, facts and information he's just been spouting. More than enough reason to be the silly, ne silly Negro of the week. Y'all are in that young bracket. You're a little young that you missed Kanye out the gates. Like when he, you know, when he first hit out there and he was really, you know, getting out there. So you're kind of getting, y'all are kind of the equivalent to Kanye as some folks were to Michael Jackson. They only knew Michael from the weird guy. Like they only knew him after accusations. They, they didn't really catch the, they weren't around for the Billy Jean era, Michael. They just knew the weird Michael. So y'all in that generation, are you just kind of getting the weird, you getting 808s in sunken place. You ain't really getting. Mm -mm. You know what I'm saying? Kanye, we <laughs> no. knew Kanye from way back. Okay. Then. Kanye used to be, you know, representing with all falls down, Jesus walks. Okay. Putting Jesus the social issues walks. up on the map. And then we seen him transform and change. So, you know, and that's kind of just a, a scary thing. Kanye West is a phenomenon in the black community. Black yeah. people should study what happened to Kanye because he rep he represents. Uh, black people. He represents black people. He represents a certain group of black people. What happens when you're given a safe space in white supremacy mm. and you don't have the black community, you don't have a, a black community, you don't have black people around you that represent black agenda mm. and things that's uh, progressive for black people, what can happen to you? Get around a whole bunch of white folks, you got a whole bunch of money, you feel like you're safe now, you know what I mean? You can stop caring about black people. You could be influenced to start cooning. Yeah. And that's that's a phenomenon that we got to study, recognize and figure out how we can stop black people from uh, moving up to middle class and upper class and then abandoning the community. I feel like Kanye West, I had went and actually bought the graduation album. OK. And I was like, this is the best album I ever heard. Girl, I, I used to Kanye bump that West. in my Lexus on yeah. 20s, boy. That Nas song, we made you. Yes. Mm. And my brother had the college dropout, and we used to have the boombox and sit in his room and listen to it just on repeat. And then as we got older, like you said, with the new era, the weird era that he's in. Blood on the Leaves. Man, you know, that was like, uh, I, I like New Slaves. I love Blood on the Leaves. Just the fact that he sampled Nina Simone, I thought he was trying to make a point. Yeah. So now that he's in this weird space, it's like, damn, you let us down because musically he is a phenomenon. But as a black man, it, to me, it's like, this is what money can do to you. You can just be whoever you want. You don't have to be a black man anymore and just forget your people. So it's, it's a terrible thing to see. You know, it's a terrible thing to see from a man go to from a black man to a coon so fast. Well, I think that the funny thing about it is I don't think he really thinks he's coon. And I really think he believes he's doing something progressive. I think he believes that he's moving the agenda and he's looking at it on an angle of Kanye. He's not looking at it 
on the angle of codes, right? And that's one thing I think we particularly miss all the time. Black people don't stay on code. We move away from the narrative. The code would be like, okay, I know you niggas used to sing and dance with um, Donald Trump, but collectively we're saying, uh uh-uh. Until he can prove to us and show us collectively what he's going to do for us, not for the 1%, because some of them um, rich Negroes are part of that 1%, right? He's going to show us, okay, this is why we should listen to Donald Trump, because he's out here in Chicago uh, cleaning up the community. He's investing in black communities. He's helping uh, black people invest in themselves. I think that what we find ourselves uh, grasping onto, again, even with the Bill Cosby situation, we knew Dr. Huxtable. We never knew Bill Cosby. You know what I'm saying? We knew Kanye West, the artist. We never really necessarily knew Kanye. And when we saw Kanye, we saw that guy always doing something that was irrational, something erratic. And then we would applaud it because it was like, okay, I remember him with the backpack, pink polo, and he kind of made nerds feel like it was cool to be hip, right? So I think that when we generalize and we often consume ourselves with just the idolization of individuals because of what they do not for who they are and what they stand for i think we lose track on you know who these people really are and i really honestly believe i don't know something that happened to him when he had one of them trips to europe or something like that because how can you go from a guy that stood up and spoke clearly and loudly and unapologetically in front of the world and said black um george butch doesn't like black people and you're like okay because he's stepping up really saying something real because George Bush was not fucking with the black people in Katrina for a while. And then you turn around and you're telling everybody we need to love and we need to support Donald Trump. Crazy. Tripping, tripping. You said it. I mean, I think something happened to Brad. <laughs> Personally, I think something happened. It's the dramatic switch, that drastic change. He represented the exact opposite of what he stepped into the game saying that he represented and so I know his mom died. That was weird. You know what I'm saying? Plastic surgery, death. That's some strange stuff. And then after he said, uh, after he got on, what's the white girl's name? Taylor Swift. Taylor stuff. Swift. Oh, after man. he got on Taylor Swift, you know, he had to leave the U.S. for a little bit. Well, he Went realized out to what it really is. He thought he was big. He thought he was a name. He thought he was a star. So he messed with that little girl. Yeah. And then the power. The backlash. They let him know. No, no. She's ours. Yes. Mm-hmm. We let you be here. Yes. But that's our girl. Yeah. And and the system let him know real quick what it really was. And it seems like he's always been trying to obtain white approval, right? He's always wanted to get white acceptance. And I think that to me is one of the key things when we look at some of our heroes, some of our um idols that are black people. And when you just let's look at the list of people like Quincy Jones. You know, Michael Jackson, you have all these guys that you're thinking like, oh, man, you know, they're proud to be in their black skin. Quincy Jones has never dated a black woman. (laughs) Michael Jackson was always interfering with his with his body, his face and his um, reasoning of why he wanted to be more white than black. And also Joe Jackson, as you as it's illustrated, didn't want his daughter, Janet Jackson and the rest of them to date black men. So you gotta gotta look at this this stream of how black artists, whether they're football players, you know, basketball players or um, entertainers that sing and dance or act, how they kind of move away from their blackness. It's cool to get them up there, but as soon as they're up there, they're trying to find a way to stay in the presence of white supremacy, getting that acceptance. Some of that acceptance make them lose themselves. Well, I think the important part to stress, too, about Kanye and why uh, he's important to be highlighted is is, is representation. 
And so there's a lot of us who saw us in him. You know, when when the college dropout, graduation, those eras, there was a lot of people who were like, "That was me." This dude is 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 speaking some of the stuff that I'm on, or I wasn't on it before, and I'm thinking about it now because of these are some of the words that came out of his mouth. Now, when it comes to representation, is is that uh, when you start making loose concepts, like and start to, under the premise of free thought, you just start saying whatever. Uh, there's a certain percentage of people who can sit there and say, OK, I know I know what you mean. I know that's what you said, but but I, I but I know that ain't what you meant. I know this is what you really meant. that came out of your mouth. And when you start saying stuff like the the, the loose talk in the like the, abolish the 13th Amendment and, and, and the different stuff about black people, they're going off of. No, that's what he said. That's their guy. He, he plays for their team like he, he's a spokesman. So if that's what he says, that's what they think. And so when we have those types of loose comments that are made by somebody who's pushed in those types of circles, it makes it harder for people coming behind it. Because uh, we said it before on the show, like for most people to grab their brain around, there's roughly 48 million African-Americans. So not necessarily black people, because we have people over here who are black who are not American. But there's roughly about 48 million African-Americans. There's roughly 52 million Californians. So if you, if you think about that, if you took every black person, every African-American in all 50 states and put them in the state of California, you'd have to borrow about five million Mexicans to make up the difference. So by that number, the average person, the average white American does not have a relationship, an intimate relationship with a black person hmm. to the same way as if you went across the United States and said, how many of you have an intimate relationship with someone from California? There's a lot of people in Michigan who don't know anybody from California. <laughs> A lot of people in Wisconsin don't know a California. A lot of it's like South, South Carolina don't know a California. Right. The same thing is so now apply that to, to African-Americans, to black people. There's a lot of people in the United States of America who do not talk about the dude, the waitress at your diner you go to, or the dude who works two cubicles down that you never speak to. Most don't have an intimate relationship with black people. So their interpretation is movies, music, and the Internet. And so when they see that type of representative, they think that's how we think. They think that's how we are. And when we have people who are working as almost like our spokesmen out there saying stuff that's reckless and detrimental to us, it starts to focal down at home. And we've got people now when we deal with the day to day person, the average every day, no album out, no movie coming out, ain't no jersey with your name on the back. Mm -hmm. Dealing with real world stuff, we're looked at as trivial. We're looked at as a joke. We're not taken seriously. We're seen as clowns. Or we're seen as problems. We're not seen as the real people. We're seen as these loose representations. And you guys firsthand at the school that you currently go to had to deal with the, uh, a, a firsthand encounter of what happens when we're not taken seriously. And, and what goes on with us is not given the seriousness or the severity that it deserves. If y'all wouldn't mind, break down what happened over at, uh, at the campus here in Sacramento. Oh, yeah, most deaf. So, uh. Basically, what happened was Monday, two students went into the bathroom in one of the buildings, Rotter Hall North, right across the way from counseling. And they went into the bathroom at like like 6 a.m. And when they went in there, they seen all of this Nazi vandalism, uh, hate threats, death threats and uh, a hate crime written all on the walls, on the stall, talking about we done dealt with the nigger long enough. We're not taking this no more. Kill them all. And so when they seen that, they started telling other students about what was going on in that bathroom. Other students was going in there. But 
one of the things that they had noticed was that they had went into that bathroom early at like 6 a.m. As soon as the school opens. So if it was already in there, it had to be there prior to Monday. Okay. And then it was word that other students had seen it on Saturday and that it had been there over the weekend. The okay. students said that they didn't see it Friday evening. And so uh, when people reached out to the police, the campus police and operations, letting them know that this terrorist threat and this death threat was in the bathroom, uh, operations and the police told them that they were already they already knew about it and that they were working on handling it. Okay. Later on that evening, uh, Monday or afternoon Monday, they cleaned it up. Tuesday comes around. We still haven't heard anything from the school. We found out later on Monday night from students who took pictures of it about what was going on. So Tuesday comes through. We still ain't hear nothing from the school. Usually when there's a safety issue or emergency on campus, the campus police sends you an email. You'll get a text message when a tree fell in the middle of the road. Everyone got text messages in the middle of school letting us know, look, this is a safety concern. Watch out for this road. Okay. But we didn't receive anything. So when Tuesday came around and we knew about it, we immediately like, oh, nah, you know what I mean? People need to know about this. We start talking to black students on campus. You know, you knew this happened in this bathroom. Nah, what's what's that? Oh. Oh, hell no. You know, what I mean, I'm from the South. This type of shit be going on all the time. Yeah. I don't feel safe here. I didn't know this be happening on, on this city college. And it was tripping. So we shut down the bathroom and we voiced our concerns in the hallway. So the big thing is, and so and also to wrap it right around too, because some people hear stuff and when they hear terrorist threats, they start thinking of uh, Taliban. They start thinking of ISIS. Right. They start thinking of there's a bomb threat in the, in the bathroom. Uh here, for it, the terrorist threats part, when you say that you're going to kill somebody, I'm going to kill all of them. I'm tired of an insert group here because if there was a, a, a message, and I think this is probably what you guys were, were uh, speaking to when you were addressing on campuses. Had that said, I'm going to kill all the insert homophobic slur here on campus, it would have been addressed differently. Right. You know what I mean? If, they, if this was a group that was saying that, that they were going to commit the exact same atrocities, the exact same crimes with the exact same energy, except it was directed at the LBGT community, right. there would have been alerts. There would have been caution tape around the bathroom, the CSI forensics team trying to get fingerprints off the mirror like they would have moved a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So what do you think firsthand is the reason why the, the degree of concern isn't the same for black people? Y'all go there. So, I mean, I believe it's because we go to a white institution and although it is Hispanic, what is it called? HSI is a Hispanic serving institution. Hispanic serving institution. They don't care about the black students. They look at us as whatever they perceive on TV, you know, so they're just going off whatever that their perception is or the incident they've had with the black student, I believe. And they treat it as such and don't take it seriously. So they do think I personally believe that they believe that we are clowns or a joke or thugs or gangs and they don't care because this typically happens we're always going to be angry and that's why they have to cover it up so fast or that we always have an issue with something or we're always offended and I believe that being that the black students on our campus have the lowest graduation rate or retention rate they just look at us and push us to the side and don't care what what about us like they don't care about what we're doing on campus I agree. I think that uh, it's just a respect thing. It's because we're not respected on campus. They didn't think anyone was going to do nothing about it. Okay. You know what I mean? We see it. Okay, forget it. Who cares? This stuff happens all the time. You know what I mean? They'll get over it, whatever. Don't even tell them. 
You know what I mean? Black people aren't respected on campus or in Sacramento because we don't have that level of power to make things happen like that. We starting to get it. We starting to make things work and make things happen when when uh, instances go down that we don't agree with. We'll tear shit up. We'll riot. But politically and organized, we don't have the level of power to make things pop. You know what I mean? Like a lot of different groups that are organized. Like you said, you mentioned LGBTQ. You said something with them. There's money coming in to support this shit. Everything's coming in. You can't say nothing about the LGBTQ community these days because yeah. it's damn near a crime to speak against it or disagree. Great vengeance and furious yeah. anger. They'll, they'll be waiting for it. But also, I mean, they'll the shut, they'll shut you down. Oh, also, the black students, um, black people in general, I believe, are the only people that embrace everybody else. So when it comes to serious issues, I believe that people are just, they brush them off because they're like, well, you guys haven't retaliated. You guys must love us anyway. You want to be, you know, involved in everything that we do and get in our culture. You guys aren't really for yourselves anyway. You guys kill each other and stuff. So we don't care what you guys do because you're just another person if they think of us as people. And I was going to say, too, uh, speaking on the LGBTQ part, I think the only reason why. Uh, they had the respect and power to shut things down and make things happen is because it's connected to white folks. If LGBTQ was a race issue and it was black LGBTQ people that it was about, they wouldn't have the same power to shut shit down as the general movement that has people of all different ethnicities, but particularly white people. White people is what make the LGBTQ thing, the LGBT community so strong. Is because it's attached to whiteness, which is attached to a power system. But black students and black people in general, our power is weak up in this country. So when something like this happens, like, oh, you know, whatever, sweep that shit under the rug. And um, the, the thing about it is is so important because as I uh, got to see what was going on and I tapped in with my team and I tapped in with my fam, you know, that's right here right now with us speaking truth to power. It's important for us as organizers, community leaders to stand by um any kind of situation, um, whether it's crime, whether it's, um, you know, something happening with police, something that's happening with racist um, terrorist threats happening in this school. When you hear and you see it, you tap in and say, what's the line of attack? How do we want to work with this? And now we are going to utilize all our resources to make sure not one, we uh, control our narrative, but to explain and say why this is not OK. So as I saw what was going on, I tapped in with the fam, got into action, and we really created a buzz so folks could not un so, so folks could understand that generally we're not just talking about this one incident, right? Yeah. This is multiple incidents on top of multiple incidents, not only at this school, but just throughout the city of Sacramento. As we've continued to to labor this idea that has been our reality to other folks that don't see that as a reality because they want to claim this city is the home of diversity and it is diverse by numbers. But when you look all through the line in government, you look into the lines of um, schools, the diversity and the numbers doesn't match up, especially when it comes to black people. We have to ask ourselves, what are people doing to keep black folks safe? What are black? What are people doing to keep black students safe in the schools? And these ideas that we feel like something can never happen here that happens in um, uh, Texas, that happens in South Carolina, that it can't happen on the campus in California. That's just um, ludicrous. And I think that when we have these moments 
we have to be able to challenge that guard. And when we challenge that guard, staying on code and staying on narrative, because what I saw in the moment where the Black Student Union did gather and did uh, create that that support system to not only let the, the people in the school, black kids know that we're not going to take this shit. Enough is enough. We're going to stand on it. We're going to make sure faculty understand there's a lot of code switching. There was a lot of black people that just was trying to co-op this uh, moment and try to make it about something that they were trying to express when for the first time, I think that uh, Sac City had in a while that they had um, the loud sounds of black kids saying this is what we are not getting because you see what they're telling us right now that we do not belong here. And of course, you're going to say that we don't belong here because we're not getting any services to help keep us safe or protect us. OK, something I think that's important to also uh, for, for anybody who hears it, because there are there are those who will sit there and say, oh, man, that's just writing on the bathroom wall. That's just and for this sake, we'll say boys being boys because it was in the, the male bathroom. That's just that's just what dudes do. That, that, that's just how 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 how, how dudes talk and, and, and why using the proper language is important and calling it terrorist threats is accurate and calling it a hate crime is accurate. The definition just for for just for bells and whistles of a terrorist threat is a crime generally involving a threat to commit violence communicated with the intent to terrorize another to cause evacuation of a building or to cause serious public inconvenience and reckless disregard of the risk of causing such terror or inconvenience. When you say we've had enough of these people, we gonna kill these people. I'm through taking stuff from these people. That is a call to violence of a particular group. Cause it wasn't like I'm sick of everybody. Right. <clears throat> Like if it was something loose, you could sit there and say, OK, that's a threat needs to be addressed. But he said, no, we singled out a specific group of people. We're addressing these people and we're giving instruction that this is what we're going to do to them. That is a terrorist threat by every definition. It is a hate crime if it's to be followed through. So we don't get enough uh, respect, I think, is, is the first thing that when we did bring these things before institutions, because like I said, we'll sit there and say that. Uh, writing this on the bathroom wall, that's just boys being boys. We have incidences where somebody says, I'm going in to shoot all the black people in this room. My intent is to kill as many niggas as I can. Mm. Right. And they'll walk into churches and open fire on people after praying. They'll grab a guy who just happens to be going to his car at the wrong place at the wrong time, beat him up and, and slam into him with a pickup truck. They'll find this, this is dope. They'll they'll yeah, they'll find the guys who sat there and said, we're going to go out and we're going to kill ourselves a nigga today and find a gentleman who was minding his own business, tie him to the back of a truck and drive him through the city. We'll sit there and say, I'm going to get out and kill somebody and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to slash the throats of innocent black women who just happen to be in front of me at any at any given time. And we'll call that assault. We'll, we'll call it uh, abuse. We'll, we'll call it, you know, we can call it manslaughter, even murder, but we don't get that label and that protection, which falls into the federal government when it pertains to hate crimes and, and domestic terror, because we're not organized. So if we're saying that this is, we need this attention to be brought by wherever we're at, if it's at school, if it's at work, if it's wherever, where do we start? Because that organization, we can't sit there and say, okay, y'all need to recognize us. Y'all need to start paying attention to us. Uh, there was a president many moons ago during the civil rights era. He said, if you want me to change policy, make me. Make me. 
Like you need to do enough on your end that I have no other choice but to change things for the better. So where do we start on our side? Because one thing to shed light on things and to make things aware and to say that we need what we need to hold you accountable for on your end. But what do we need to be holding ourselves accountable for on our end? Personally, I believe that as far as the black students go to hold ourselves accountable first, I would say when we are in our classrooms or on campus is to look as if and to be genuine and be mindful of who we're around, whether it's staff or faculty that doesn't look like us or that do look like us, and make sure that we're addressing each other as if we care about each other's lives. Because one thing I realize is that when we're on campuses, sometimes a lot of black students, most of us typically address each other in different ways. And it might be nigga, it might be friend, it might be king, might be queen. Everybody has a different title. And when faculty sees that, I truly believe that in their eyes, they don't care how they address us because how we address ourselves. And maybe that could be a, um, that could be something that the black students take into consideration when on campus. But you, bud? Most deaf. Uh, I think that, and the question was basically ways that we could get respect and organize. Yeah, for more because power. we recognize that. Uh, so first of all, what she was saying, there are some groups, whether they be uh, Middle Eastern, some Jewish communities, whatever. You'll find that Asian communities, I don't have to know you, but if you Muslim, I'm watching out for you for the sake of fact you're Muslim. You, I don't know you, but you're Russian. If you mess with one Russian person, you've messed with the entire group of Russians, regardless of what we think about the Russian. You know what I'm saying? You've messed with the entire Jewish community, regardless of what we think about this individual, because you're messing with the group. So what steps do we need to take to have that bond where somebody actually has to, to quote unquote, worry about messing with black people? Because like, there, there's, there's not a fear anymore. Like mm-hmm. me and Barry, we're a little bit older. There was, there was the old days. There was a genuine fear of black people. This idea of how all these other groups throw the N-word around with each other like it's nothing. The disrespect that's for black people as a whole is just as common as the sun coming up. There's been a huge social shift in how black people are are publicly seen and addressed. So how do we get some of that back? Y'all are the younger generation. We, me, and, me and Barry ain't done yet. We ain't, we ain't out the pastor. But from what you because yeah, I ain't old like that. You making it seem like we 50 around this joint. No, nah, but I'm saying these they in college right now. You're starting to see got young men and women who just graduated high school. Some of them are still high school seniors who, who are on campus. So getting this next wave in to start curbing some of that. What are some things that, that you guys think that we can we can start, you know, putting into place on our end? As well, far as the community, it yeah. sounds like it's, it's a cultural thing. That's what it is. It's all culture. So we got to look at. How is our culture being generated today? And we got to look at the things that affected our culture in the past. Yeah. So we talking about 60s, 70s, the type of black people that we had back then. Is that like the area that you, you was going with? Like well, no, the 60s, I ain't that 70s, old. 80s, but I, <laughs> or the children of the 60s, 70s, 80s? Something like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. For sure. So that era, we got to look at what was happening there. You know what I mean? Yeah. FBI went in and they broke broke down the homes, broke down the families, put drugs in the community, and the babies from those homes, the babies in that in those communities that got hit with the drugs, got hit with mass incarceration, uh, started turning to violence and started wilding out. So you're dealing with some kids that raised some kids, yeah, and didn't really raise them. You know what I mean? Kids that was that was coming up with families that was on drugs, coming up with uh. Families that didn't even have families, no mama, no daddy in the house. A lot of houses didn't have daddies in the house and the kids was raising the kids. 
So the culture got fucked with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the culture got messed up. So if we talk about rebuilding the culture, we got to be talking about 20, 30, 40, 50 year plans on establishing black families okay. and how those black families is going to live. What types of things we're going to teach these black families, what type of values we're going to have, what types of schools they're going to go to, what type of communities we want to live in. That's the only way to rebuild the culture. Otherwise, we just going to be doing the same shit. Some of the stuff that that we try to address now, it's like we giving Tylenol to cancer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like getting into some of these schools right now and trying to start programs in these schools. That's cool. But we already know that the school is structured from the ground up to send these kids to prison, number one, or to get them a job and turn them into a coon. So we got to build our own schools. We got to build our own communities. We got to have our own politics. So we have to start looking at where do we want to start that at? What land, what place in America do we think is best suitable to start bringing black people to and creating a community, a neighborhood, a school, a political system? All that type of shit. And that's how I feel like the culture switch. Okay. Because I, I ask you those questions and set this up. Because there are some people who they don't know about. I ain't going to say they don't. Well, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to be real. They don't, they don't know. Because there's a lot of other cultures for the same reason that they don't have an interpersonal relationship with black people. The thing about if you're black in America, you have to be aware of every other group. Though every other group does not have to be aware of you. So when, when we move through this society, we have to be aware of white people's sensibilities. We have to be aware of, of white temperament. We have to be aware, because these are t more often than not, uh, when you're in school, the face of your every disciplinarian you will face outside of your household is, has a white face on it. If it's not the teacher of your school, the vice principal where you go, the cop that arrests you, the, the prosecuting attorney, the judge that will sentence you, the, the, the doctor who gives you your pills and medication, the face of everyone who can bring you true real world detriment and struggle is usually got, got a white face on. So we have to be extremely mindful because we go through them for our money. We go through them for our food. We go through them for our real estate and resources. So there's there's something we have to be mindful of. Other groups don't have to be mindful of us unless they live next door to us. I don't have to recognize who he is. I don't have to know the history, their culture, their struggle, they nothing. So when we speak on things of like the mass incarceration and the government coming through the plant and the drugs, that is new information for, for a lot of these groups. So when we start talking about. So what, what, what a lot of what groups Our group or other groups, other groups. Not a disagree. Mm, if you ask the average Asian, how how well versed are they in the issues of the Iran Contra situation, the stuff where the 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 Clinton crime bill and its specific purpose, like most of them, it, it, they don't know. Well, black people don't even know as well. Then, but but I'm saying they don't need to know. We do. So there, it is not necessary for those other groups. A lot of them don't know about redlining when it comes to real yeah, estate. But I, I get that, but I don't think, and I think the problem becomes is. A lot of black people don't feel like they need to know as well. But that's what I think we're going to what he's saying about changing the culture. I mean, that's a difficult thing, because when you have a mindset of people that have been trained and need to be untrained or unlearn what they've been taught about themselves, when you have still to this day in 2018, young people, and I just had a conversation with some young men um, on Sunday, and they're talking about, oh, the first thing I'm learning about is I'm, I'm a slave and I'm not empowered. I don't know anything about nothing. I didn't even, they didn't even know about Emmett Till, right? You have this idea that all things that deal with your American history is based on white empowerment. So the reality is the only thing that we're supposed to do is sports and entertainment or figure out some kind of other way to be rich 
And most of those times of people trying to be rich or trying to kind of stay with the Joneses is doing something illegal. And when you do something illegal, most of the times, nine times out of ten, the Negro was going to go get locked up and it's going to get more time than the white person. So the reality is I think that it's gotten so bad, the displacement of history and the idea that you Negroes really ain't equal has got so far gone because we have like talking about guys like Kanye. We have looking at guys um, like Snoop Dogg. We have looking at guys like LeBron James and all these black brothers are excellent at what they do and how they do it. But that's not a reality for most of black people in America. That's not going to be uh, the average black person is not going to reach LeBron James status, whether it's money or um, fame. But the reality that we deal with on a common ground level is a lot of these Negroes believe that. And now you have social media that will give them this cryptic idea that I could get there somehow, some way. So the poison in the stream is even deeper because now the white folk don't even have to teach you that you're inferior. You already think so already. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's 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 a, a, a slippery slope because I don't see us moving in a position because even in the moment of where we had this protest i watched the students try to get other students and students didn't show up until media came and they heard that it was getting funky like they weren't even really worried about it like oh really okay and that's a concern okay so i'm gonna put this to you and go with what he says is is it a bigger problem that other groups don't care about us or is it a bigger issue that we don't care about us? It's a bigger issue that we don't care about us because once black people start to care about us, none of that other shit even matters no okay. more. That's how I feel about it. If we had our shit together, we had our shit straight and we had our value system right. Black people was fucking with each other. We wasn't killing each other. We wasn't, you know, going to all this different type of shit that's negative for the culture and negative for our communities. If we was on one accord with that, couldn't shit stop us. We'd be to the moon and back. We'd be doing our own shit, congregating with Africa. The only thing we have to deal with is the government. Yeah. Because we enemies of the state. Every time we trying to do something, we enemies of the state. So I think that uh, definitely, if we had our shit all together, we was all on one mind, one accord, I don't think we would really have to worry too much about what other groups think about us. We just have to worry about the state trying to fuck with us because we're getting our shit together. I have to agree with that, but I will also um, a little bit agree with the other side as well, because in my personal opinion, I don't believe, although I do believe if black people were all on one page, we could be much stronger and get more shit done. But realistically, we're so far past that because there's so many different subcategories of black people that sometimes not worth the energy to even try to try to change somebody to getting on some conscious shit, you know, and everybody has different patterns of thinking so before we can even consider let's be all whole as a black group or as a race we have to weed out the people who are the problematic in our race we ain't trying to convert Kanye we ain't we can't we can't we can't we can't convert him I mean we can't do it you know he's too far out there but we can do is focus on the people that are feet to the ground and focus on the warriors and try to build something with them and as much as I believe in reach one teach one some people the majority of what we have today the young people that want to get with the movement are either going to feel like they're risking something, mm -hmm. whether it's their education or their lives or their jobs, which could be illegal yeah. and don't want to be down with anything. 
or we have a huge group of people that drop the baton, which would be our grandparents and even parents and great grands who overlook everything because they're set in their time, their segregation, they've done all that. So we're just out here fighting for whatever we, whatever we feel is right. And we don't have that much support. So that's why I strongly believe that as a group of black people, we have to focus on us and then move forward. But depending on who you're asking as a black person, do you want to have the other group of people look at us a certain way to um, be in solidarity with us or to work and have them as allies or manipulate them to work with us so that we can get what we need out of that? Or what do you want to do? You know, I think that it's not clear what black people want. Because it seems like a lot of black people want just to be equal and not be fucked with in their everyday black lives. But in reality, that's not how it's going to go. I think it's more the second one. I think there's a lot of black people that don't care about the equal part. They just don't want to be fucked with in their day-to-day life. And then at the same time, I think that the bottom line is black people have too many options. Right. right? The options that we have now, clearly from... 50 years ago to now is like, I don't really have to deal with all of this opposition the way that we are taking it on. I could really live my normal life, live in Rockland, live in Roseville, say hi to John, go to Kate's birthday party and go hang out with Sam down at the local bar and be the good token Negro without having to worry about provoking white supremacy. And I think that before Negroes didn't have options. It's like we all in the same gang, you basketball player, you nurse, uh, you lawyer, but you still Negro, you still in this neighborhood, police still come over here and police us. They don't care about our our, our, our rap sheet, our, our, our record, our suits, our ties. And I think that what we play ourselves into too much is this idea and this thought, you know, black women have said a lot and it's no disrespect because I want my queens to lift up and rise. But black women, some that I hear will feel that it's going to be a different kind of angle and a different kind of extreme when there's more black women in positions of power. I disagree. Because I look at it as just as black women or black men. If you have white intentions and if you have a, a thought and idea that is lensed by white ideas and philosophies, it don't matter what kind of nigga we get in there. You black, you are a woman, you are a man. If you got white intentions, you're going to have white intentions. It's never going to be about a black agenda. So I think that we fall into this trip because how is we in 2018 talking politically and we still talking about Democrats and Republicans? How in 2018 we haven't really amassed a real movement to get our reparations? These things that we are, we're constantly kind of evading and we're also fighting about a struggle that is never ever going to end until we get lands, until we get industries, until we get powers and monies and lobbyists to change some of these degrees. The laws, these measures that get passed, it's all paper thin and it moves us just inches. It doesn't move us miles because we have this thought that if we get into these systems, we'll infiltrate. And majority of these Negroes who so-called go into these systems and infiltrate, get infiltrated, right? And either they're going into keeping the status quo or they're going for individuality and their own individual beliefs. I saw it with the guy who's a vice principal over there, vice president, whatever. His name is Poindexter. He actually shook my hand and said, I used to do what you do. And I said to him, you've never done what I've done because if you've done what I've done, you wouldn't be in a suit sitting there trying to um, protect the school. You'd be telling the school, hey, 
black students don't feel safe and this is uh, uh, not right protocol. We screwed up. But you know what happened? It was the white, excuse me, the Latino president that basically said we screwed up. So Negroes are so busy trying to appease white people in positions of power, not showing power. We have four black council members that were black at a one particular time in Sacramento, and we have not one African unified city in Sacramento. You go down every Martin Luther King throughout America, it's trash. It's hood. You know what I'm saying? So I don't believe that. If the Negro continues to move in this thought of going into white supremacy and going to these systems and just being uh, the, 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 the turtle that stays silent in the room and tries to move us in a turtle's uh, pace, we're going to get anything done. We have to start separating. We have to start talking black, being black unapologetically and getting out of this color people, the people of color, and start talking about black people. Because when we start marginalizing ourselves in multiculturalism, people of color, we get sandwiched in these, these groups and our needs are the last needs that are always met. I agree 100%. I think uh, that's what really happened to us with multiculturalism and what happened in the 80s and uh, 70s. When black people got into multiculturalism and we started to move into what happened was, was that the floodgates opened to white supremacy. Basically, it said that now you could you don't have to be black all the way. You know what I mean? There's a safe space for black people up out here. And so that's what generated Coons. That's what 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 gave Coonan a space in America is when you're able to be safe by getting a position of power or some money. And you can elevate up out of the ghetto or the hood yeah. or being around your black folks. And now you sit in a position of power. You don't have to deal with the everyday things, but you got to turn your head when you see us doing some bullshit. And that's the that's the thing that we got to eliminate. We got to eliminate those safe spaces for black people to coon because there's no repercussions for it. You can sit on the city council board and see some shit. That's some bullshit. See some little black kids get shot in your community and and not have to say nothing and not have to answer answer for it. Yeah. You can do your own thing. You can be Kanye West. You can run around here, date all the white women that you want, do drugs, be out here, say whatever you want, and not have to deal with your hometown Chicago where you come from. These black kids is dying every single day. That's a safe space. And while it, as long as we have these safe spaces for Coonan, that's always going to be antithetical to the black struggle. Black people's always going to assume those Coonan positions those safe spaces and they're going to turn turn their back on black folks and they're going to be used against black folks. They're going to be put in positions of power to control black people, to stop them from doing the things that are starting to upset or frustrate the system. And that's what it's going to be. So that's one thing that we got to focus on while we building is getting rid of these safe spaces and making these black people that's in these positions of power, holding them accountable. And making sure that we checking them, we applying pressure to their ass to where they don't feel safe anymore, that they can just sit up here in these positions of power and not say nothing or not fight for the folks no more. Okay. You, you, you on that same page? I you agree. That same energy? I agree. And I definitely agree with what Barry was saying about people separating themselves and holding each other accountable. Because one thing about black people that I realized, especially with what's going on, on our campus, is that we have people that look like us in the positions that are supposed to be helping, but they're not doing anything for us. So for me personally, going back to the question you said about what can the community do for me, it's hard to answer that question because 
the whole community is on the same page. Okay. So for me, it's kind of take it one day at a time and figure out how we can knock this out and get through the day, week or month. And what, what else can we do? What's the next thing we can do to progress, uh, to progress through? Um, once we got the pictures, um, immediately we forwarded them out, Facebook, Instagram, we texted them out and we got, we pretty much got the ball rolling with everything. Okay. And that was the power of social media, but also, you know, everyone didn't share it. Everyone looked like us didn't share it. I had more white people that were inboxing us, trying to help and figure out where they can come in than uh, more of my black friends on Facebook, people I know in real life. You know, so for me, it's kind of, I don't know what the community can do as a whole, but I would definitely hope we can figure out something because a lot of us, um, not millennials, but a lot of us 90s babies are getting tired and we're activists and we're trying to push through, but we don't have enough support and we don't know who's going to help us that looks like us because don't get we don't know who's side you are. Okay, so, so something that I would ask you, so in... in so you, you had the opportunity to reach out to Barry at the time, and I'm sure there's a couple other people of, of a little bit older than you guys. What would you say is A, the biggest hurdle, and then uh, B, what would is any suggestions that you think would make it easier to get more support from folks a little bit older than you? Because I understand when you're trying to, to, to network with your same age bracket, but realistically, it's probably going to take people a little bit older who have a little more resources and a little more ability. So what are the ones some of the biggest hurdles that you run into? Is it not knowing who to go to? Is it they're just not willing to help? Is it uh, like like what what are some of the things that you guys meet regularly? And then are there any things that like suggestions? Because what I because I, I, one thing to identify what something is and what's wrong, and we can clearly say this is what needs to be shifted. This is what we need to do. But we also know for somebody who's like, man, I, I live in a city and I kind of heard about that. Uh, nobody hit me up. You know what I mean? Or I don't know the realms that they speak in or I don't you know what I'm saying like like some of the disconnect that goes generationally. What are some of the, the, the hurdles you've had reaching out to people a little bit older? And then are there any suggestions you'd have for somebody a little bit older to reach out to you? Mm. In my oh, go ahead. Yeah. in my opinion, for me specifically, yeah, it is the community I was raised in. So I grew up in church and I'm not a church person. I'm on a conscious mind to where I'm questioning everything. So for me, I don't really have the outlet to reach out to older people. You can't go back to the church. Right. And get I can't say, how can you help me? Because some of them are, I used to do this, but that's not what they're on now. Okay. So for me, I, I don't know who I would reach out to that would want to even be of assistance um, because they might not agree with what I'm doing. And for me, I get a lot of backlash in what I'm doing because I'm trying to better my people and do what I can. And I don't know who I'd reach out to. But for people that would want to reach out that are older, I, I definitely welcome them with open arms because the more the merrier. But um, for me, I haven't I haven't had any people reach out more probably this way him because he's like more involved with the African market. And I didn't know about that community until I met Joshua. And once I got more acclimated with the African marketplace, I found a community, but even when stuff like this happens, it's very minimal. Okay. Uh, I think the the biggest obstacle for the generation gap is, is that on majority, the majority of the youth aren't on the right mindset and the majority of the elders aren't on the right mindset. So it's hard to reach out to the elders sometimes because the majority of them that are still around 
they live in those safe spaces. <laughs> okay. They have the keys to things. They don't want to lose those keys. They have resources, but those resources are lended. They're not, not giving those resources. They're not up. standing on a position of power. They're standing on a position of loan power. And you know convenience. I mean? And convenience. They controlled by white folks, so they got fears of some type of white folks or organizations to where they're not gonna put. And they older. They're like, look, I'm chilling now. You know what I mean? I'm in retirement. I'm over here living good. I got me a little Benz, a little house and shit. I'm not putting it all on the line for this black shit, which is an understandable thing to an extent because yeah. it's like, well, what is black people doing? Is y'all organized? Is we ready to go or what? Am I going to put it on the line, lose it I'm tomorrow? I'm supposed to be broke at 70 because y'all, y'all, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I go to prison. Ain't nobody going to come see me or mess with me, give me nothing. You know, so now nah, I'm cool. I'm going to chill up here in my little rocking chair up here and, and fuck with white supremacy, basically. <laughs> You know, I'm cool off that. But that's, I I'm, never heard of that one. But, go but ahead. then there be there do be elders that have keys and resources or that have the right mindset, yeah. but a lot of times they don't have the resources. You okay. know what I mean? It'd be like the ones that's, that's all the way down trying to mess with you and stuff, and they're with it, but they don't have the same resources that's needed to, like, do what we trying to do yeah, on some real shit. You know somewhere. what I mean? Like, let's start a school. Let's build a restaurant. Let's do some shit like this. Like... Those resources aren't accessible to the black people that's really down. And then it'd be the same thing, too, from the youth standpoint. Some of the most valuable youth that we could have, some of the soldiers that we got in the community, their minds ain't right. So you may have some elders that's trying to mess with them, like, let's do some shit. Let's get our community right. Let's make sure all the black women is safe and there ain't no black women getting raped out here. You know what I mean? Let's yeah. make sure that that uh, the elders is cool to walk through the community and neighborhood. They're like... Niggas, you crazy? They I'm out here selling them. dope. They, they I'm gonna rob you right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so uh, that's the issue, the mindset. The mindset between the youth and the elders is not on the same page. And that generational gap, that generation gap was really fractured and broken from the crack epidemic and from the destruction of the Cointel Pro. We can trace these things directly. Yeah. We have to really start pushing that issue when we talk about reparations. We ain't talking about reparations for slavery only. Yeah. We talking about reparations for Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. We talking about reparations for FBI, CIA, Contra Scandal, COINTELPRO. Mm -hmm. Because what that did was it fucked my mom and my dad up. It fucked my grandparents up. It fucked my neighbor up. Yeah. You know what I mean? My whole community's fucked up now. And that, that shit... Uh, that shit go it, it's, it's multiple generations to watch. You know what yeah. I mean? And that shit that made some it made all these youngsters go crazy. So now we out here, our community's fucked up. We ain't got no money. We out here on drugs. People, the culture's messed up. People rapping, talking about all kind of crazy shit. But that's a direct byproduct of what the government did when you came into our communities, you killed our leaders, you locked everybody up, and then you put drugs in our communities to fund your war and let the babies go crazy. And but then also, when you go ahead, go, go, go but ahead. also education and to me education and religion pay, play a big part huge part in the um the baton being dropped from the older generation to us now because with education number one if you even try to sit and talk to like in my case talk to an elder that is rooted in some brainwashed religion yeah. about what's going on about some black shit they're looking at you like, Jesus. Boy, that's crazy. You better, you, better, Jesus. you better pray about it. Don't bring that up to me. You better go to church and put it at the altar. And your my, my mindset is, I I have I need to fight. I'm trying to protect myself and my people to advance them. I can't be sitting here praying all day waiting on that. So I think that right there, in my opinion, is a huge generational gap because a lot of these elders that are 
rooted in religion, a lot of them have the funds Mm -hmm. and they don't understand what's going on and don't dare try to even bring it up because you might not even know how to talk to them in a way they can understand it without being disrespectful to a grandparent or an elder and saying, listen, this is what's going on. This is about COINTELPRO. And they're looking at you like, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. You can have it. Or their pride in my, what I've seen, their pride is on some other stuff. Was like, you know, I don't really need to know about that. You got it, baby. Go out there and do that. But but just make sure you when you get pulled over, just be a comp- be complacent. Just follow what they're saying. So with the education, um, that thing alone, and then with the religion, it all just goes hand in hand. So it's a huge age gap. It's a lot of those people that are not supporting and they have the funds and resources, but you you have to be very particular in how you speak with them about it. And you don't want to step on anybody's toes and you want their help, but you also want to educate them, too. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what stories they're sitting on or yeah. how or how what we're doing now they've been through or gone through that might be triggering them. So a lot of them don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, activists who came out of the, the 60s and 70s and when they turned the, t- the corner on 78. They left everything before and behind, like the, some of the atrocities they saw. But something that, to hit on what you said, which I think was very important when you're addressing about how when you got involved with the African market, read around with, with Josh. That's why when people when we speak about there's a little Saigon everywhere, there's a Chinatown, there's a little Havana. It's not just about being able to get a taco if you're Mexican. It's not just about being able to get noodles if you're Asian. That need for for a space for black people, a little Kenya, a a little Zimbabwe, whatever. It's more than just the food. It's more than just the clothes. It is a like minded community. It's an exchange of resources. It's an exchange of ideas like those are spaces where you can find the like minded people who are on, on the cultural side. You know, we all have a bunch of different religious ideologies. We pray to a bunch of different people. None of that got anything to do with keeping the lights on. That that should not be the, the 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 barrier for why a school isn't built. That should not be the, the the barrier and why there's not hospitals or why there's not grocery stores or why women I don't care who they pray to don't feel safe to walk through a community of people who look just like them who know they mama. Do you know what I mean? Because like that's a deep part. Like the people when you get assaulted, yeah. you are going through a neighborhood of people who look like you who know who your mama is. They know who your grandma is and they're assaulting you anyway. Like that should not be the case. And some of the stuff you're talking about, how those, those, those barriers, the reason why I posed the question of, of what would help gap that is because what I would like also is people who are a little bit older to not be afraid to approach people who are younger because we have that. We have people who are over 40 who are afraid of people under 25. Not like I ain't going to mess with them or they ain't going to listen. Like they are afraid. Like a pit bull turn the corner with foam around his mouth. Like, dang, I ain't touching that. I'll cross the street. I ain't going over there with them. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that if you're like, if you're receptive, like, no, it's okay. You can talk to me. I want to talk to you. Like, I'm, we, we need to sit down. We don't have to agree on everything, but I'm sure we're going to agree on something. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very but I, but, rare. I, but I think that, you know, it's, it's not only very rare, but I also look at this situation that Negroes ain't ready to sacrifice and Negroes are very comfortable in their position and every Negro thinks they're right. So when you have that mentality and you have that idea that, no, my way is better than your way. But in the reality of it all, 
nobody's way has gotten us anywhere too far. It's kind of got us in a place where complacency and being okay with being oppressed, whether you are rich oppressed or poor oppressed, but it's still oppression. Because my whole thing, if I was a millionaire and I looked at my people not having a piece of the pie, I couldn't go out and just go to my neighborhood and feel protected. I would feel oppressed because I'm not being able to go to um, a neighborhood that doesn't look like my own and feel okay or feel safe. So in general, we can all continue to speak upon, well, we all want to be equal. There's no way we can be equal because, first of all, the black men and women are superior beings. We are the beginning and the end. We are the creators of all civilization and mankind. So there can never be an equal thing to this game, right? Our melanin itself, you know, speaks volumes on who we are. And most of our kids don't even know that. They don't understand that their melanin is more um, is worth more than gold. They don't get none of that. They don't understand that our body parts, our organs, they sell those things because white people don't have the, the kind of organs and kind of the body structure that we have. They don't get these things. But until we really have a serious conversation with ourselves about how we're going to build and what this looks like. Let's take away this religion. Let's take away this classism, this eliteness that some of us try to hold on to. Let some of these OGs start giving up some of that power and some of that real game to some of the young heads because I had that same problem. That's why I created my own. And that's why a lot of these OGs respect me because I didn't have that tutoring. I didn't have that mentorship to do what I'm doing. I did it on my own. I did it selflessly. And I've done it in a way that they never thought of. <laughs> you know, they were too afraid to do. So there's a new era of, of of, of, of renegade and revolutionaries in uh, the black community going back like we were in the 60s with the uh, Black Panthers and the Malcolm X's of the world and even going far back to the Marcus Garvey's and going back to our brothers and sisters in Haiti when they created revolution. But the bottom line is if we think that kumbaya, loving thy enemy and continuing to be in their systems that control us with oppressive ways and will have us go against each other just to get crumbs is going to be the way out of this. We're dead ass wrong. So we have to be able to move, stay on um, cold, continue to keep the same narrative and let's all work and build together. We cannot be afraid of stepping out from daddy daycare and being on our own. We just got to understand that we've done it before and we can do it again because the truth in the matter is we are the powerful ones. They're powerless without us, period. See, these are things that we have to make sure that we address, that we have issues that it can't be held up to the fact that we have to wait for other people to come in and save us. It can't be just like how you guys took to control yourselves and said, if this is not being done on our behalf, we will do it for ourselves. We will inform our our fellow students. We will make the noise that's necessary so we can feel safe where we're supposed to feel safe and, and enforce the rules like they're enforced upon us and, and say the stuff that's needed to be said and do the things that need to be done. That it it's going to take a lot of work. And dealing with some of the generational issues, the classism, the all, all the, the million and one reasons why we can find not to work together. We only need one, two. We in this together. I, all the other stuff is going to be all the other stuff. But if we sit there and recognize that the only way we're going to make it is together. That's a cliche, but it is real today as it was when it was first uttered. That these are things we're going to have to get real about, that we're going to have to connect, build and grow. And as we get active about the stuff that needs to be done. It also has to begin by shedding some light on it and definitely saying something about it. It's been the Say Something Podcast. We got two special guests. Let folks know who you are and where they can find you online. 
My name is Taylor, and you can find me on Facebook, <laughs> Taylor McClure. That's M-C-C-L-U-R-E. You almost forgot your last name for a second. Huh? <laughs> oh, like, find me where? Yeah, well, I mean, Taylor for McClure, the, and the Black yeah. Student Union and all that stuff. Oh, you can find us on Instagram at Sac City BSU and Facebook. Yeah, my name is Joshua Robinson, also Sacramento City College Black Student Union. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, Sac City BSU. Very Axis, as you know. B-E-R-Y-A-C-C-I-U-S on Facebook and on Twitter the same name and on IG at Team Void. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. Tap in with them on their social media platforms. Get up to speed on what's happened previously. And if you're somebody out there with resources, with information, or you want to do your part and try to help out because you recognize you're a part of this community, even if you don't go to school there, make sure you tap in with them. And if you're not from this particular region, tap in where you are from. And you don't have to have gone to that school. You don't have to have lived on that side of town. You don't have to know them personally to get yourself involved, to make some resources available and to do your part to helping to bridge some of these gaps and to fix some of these problems. This has been the Say Something Podcast. Jermaine Morris with our special guest, Barry Axius. Pray for Kanye West. Mental health in the black community is real. 808's The Sunken Place coming out in 2019. And until next show. Holla. We will holla at you later.